Hey everyone, you are listening to the Covenant Grace Church podcast. We are a gospel-centered community on mission with Jesus in Port Elizabeth, South Africa. Enjoy the message. Welcome to our online viewers. Uh, I know we've got people watching all over the world, as well as in the different parts of South Africa, and it's a joy to have you with us. Uh, thank you for jumping onto YouTube and following us and uh, being part of Covenant Grace, even though you're not able to be in the room. Uh, we are aware that you're with us there, and uh, it's a great joy to have you with us as well. If you have a Bible, you can open it to John chapter 14. Uh, John 14, we're going to be looking at verses 15 to 26 today. Um, we started John 14 last Sunday, and uh, we're going to spend some time here this morning as well as next week. Um, what we're going to be doing is, as John's gospel slows down, now we said this, we noted this very important change, that John chapters 1 through 12 cover 33 years of Jesus' life, and then John chapter 13 through 17 cover one night. So just the contrast is enormous. You've got 33 years in 12 chapters, the next five chapters are kind of like eight hours, because it's Thursday night. It's the upper room. Jesus and the disciples are in the upper room. Jesus has washed the disciples' feet. That's 24 feet, including Judas, remember? It's Thursday night. On Friday, Jesus is crucified. And so all that Jesus is going to communicate from chapter 13 all the way through to 17, the great high priestly prayer, is one night. One night of instruction. One night of get the disciples ready. Get them ready because Friday's coming. And so John 14 starts, let not your hearts be troubled. And they are troubled. The disciples are worried. Jesus has got all this talk about going away, and it's going to go away, and it's going to be suffering, and there's going to be pain, and there's going to be heartache. And they're worried. They're worried. What is it going to be like when Jesus goes away? Now, let's just pause that thought. Imagine with me for a moment. Imagine if Jesus had to suddenly arrive physically today in Jerusalem. Imagine, I think every single airline would immediately be packed. I think every possible boat, train, plane, bus in Europe would be completely jam-packed. Every road into Jerusalem would be crowded. And even if you could get there, right? Even if you could get there, there would be Enormous crowds, huge, long lines, hopefully, some order, but you probably get nowhere near to Jesus. I mean, the, 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 the attraction, the, the, the enormity of the moment would have been huge, impossible to almost get close. And I think that brings us to today's text, because Jesus is saying he's going away, and he's referencing his death and ascension and resurrection. But then he also promises to come back and to be with them. Now, what does he mean when he says that? How can Jesus, here's the question, how can Jesus be both in heaven with his father? I'm going away. I'm going to my father, he says. But then he says, but don't worry, I will be with you. Now, how can that be? How can Jesus both be bodily with the Father in his ascension, and how can he be with us, the disciples? In particular, the disciples in the upper room. They're terrified. You know, if they're going to crucify Jesus, what, what could they do to us, they might be thinking. 
And so this is not just a theological question, and it's a good theological question, but it's also practical because we want to know, you know, when we're going through times of stress or anxiety or whether you're going through times of sickness or sorrow, we want to know, is Jesus with us? Is Jesus with me in my trials and tribulations and troubles? Is he with me in my joys and my celebrations? Is Jesus with us? Is he taking care of us? And so let's read our text. John 14 from 15. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. Even the spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Yet a little while, and the world will see me no more. But you will see me. Because I live, you also will live. In that day, you will know that I am in my Father, and you in me, and I in you. Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. Judas, not Iscariot, said to him, Lord, how is it that you will manifest yourself to us and not to the world? Jesus answered him, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him. And we will come to him and make our home with him. Whoever does not love me does not keep my words. And the word that you hear is not mine, but the Father's who sent me. These things I have spoken to you while I am still with you. But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. Jesus' disciples are grown men. They're adults in many ways, mature, but they are terrified. Their hearts are troubled at the thought of continuing the mission. Jesus has been preparing them. Jesus has been teaching them that, that, that he's going to go, and when he goes, they must continue the mission. They need to be his disciples. This is what disciples do. Disciples continue the mission, right? He doesn't just gather men for, for kind of just fun. No, no, he gathers them to continue the mission of God in the world. But they're worried. They're worried because their master is going away. And how are they going to do it? How are they going to fulfill the mission? How are they going to fulfill the will of God without the master? And so the master reassures them and says, I've got something amazing planned for you guys. Even though I'm going to go away bodily, even though the master will ascend to heaven, I will give you another helper. Verse 16, and I will ask the father and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. Forever. Now, I want to begin with two initial observations, and then we're going to make three points about 
the Holy Spirit. The first observation is fairly obvious but needs revisiting. The Holy Spirit is God. The Holy Spirit is God. The Bible consistently teaches us that there is one God in three persons, the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. So God the Father, God the Son, Jesus, and God the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit throughout Scripture is often referred to as the Spirit of God. Romans 8 verse 14, just one example, there are many. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. Now the Spirit is of God. You see there, Spirit of God. The Spirit is of God, not because God created Him. God the Father didn't create the Spirit. No, no, the Spirit is of God, eternally of God. The Spirit is eternally forth coming forth from God. It's the very nature and essence of God because God himself is spirit. But they're not the same persons. They're the same nature and essence, but they are three different persons, eternally existing as one God in three persons, Father, Son, and Spirit. And when Jesus shares this news, what we need to understand is that He's not speaking of a lesser being or another kind of lesser created being. No, no, he's speaking of none other than God coming to us. And when we think of God, what we, what we think is that he's greater, right? He's, he's powerful. God is greater than anyone else. He's more powerful than anyone we could ever imagine. Nobody could ever keep God in one place, Right? I mean, you can't put God on a leash like you do a puppy, right? You, you can't keep God in a fish tank like you do a fish, right? No, no, you can't put him, you know, if you, you know, when you wrestle with your kids, you can pin them to the ground. You can't do that with God. Why? Because God is all-powerful, and he can be everywhere and anywhere because he is omnipresent, and the Bible reflects this in many different stories. Many different stories tell us about how God was present with them in all sorts of circumstances. We see that God shows up with Moses in a burning bush. Many scholars tell us that that was Jesus, the pre-incarnate Christ. And we see many of these occasions as Daniel is in the lion's den and, and Shadrach and Meshach and Abednego are thrown into a furnace. There was the Son of Man there, right? God shows up in these places. God is all-powerful, but God can be wherever he likes. He meets Moses in a bush. He meets Moses on a mountain. He, he delivers the people of Israel out of e Egypt. He walks them through the sea. He takes them through the wilderness. God was with them in the tabernacle and the temple. All of this to say there is no place on the earth where God cannot be. And now God, by the Spirit, Jesus says, is going to come and be with us, his disciples. God with us. God with us in the person of the Son. 
the incarnate, the Word took on flesh. Now God with us by the Spirit. The second observation is that the Holy Spirit is given only to Christians. We see this in the text a few times, verse 17, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. The sending of the Spirit is the unique gift from the Father to the follower. The, the, the follower of Christ, the one who is a disciple of Christ. The promised gift of help, the promised gift of help and love is something the world can't see, can't know, and is not given and will never experience. It is uniquely and intimately and especially for believers. And notice how the believer is described repeatedly throughout this passage. It's not just for people who are called Christians, but for people who are actually Christians. Notice how many times we are called upon to love and obey. Did you see it? Verses 14, uh, 15, chapter 14, 15, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. Verse 21, whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. Verse 23, if anyone loves me, see the repetition? He will keep my word, obey my commandments, and my father, here's the result, and my father will love him, and we, father and son, will come to him and make our home with him. This is the unique privilege of those who are born again, the regenerate, because the Spirit has already birthed the new creation. It's what it means to be a Christian, is to be a new creation, and that can only come about by the new birth. John chapter 3, the wind of the Spirit blows upon our dead, cold hearts and revives us to new life, and we are raised with Christ. The same Holy Spirit that did that keeps us in obedient, loving service to Christ. Now, this doesn't mean all of these references to love and obey, love and obey, doesn't mean that we can earn or merit the gift of the Spirit. No, no, it's, it's, it's the fruit of the root, right? It's the fruit of regeneration. The fruit of being a Christian is that we love and obey. It's not how you become a Christian, you don't become a Christian by loving and obeying. No, no, you are a Christian, therefore you love and obey. After all, it was God who first loved us. John 1 John 4, 19, we love because he first loved us. In other words, before we ever kept any commandments. <laughs> Isn't that incredible? Before we ever loved him, before we ever obeyed him, before we kept his word, he set his love on us. And the reason we love him is because he loved us, and because he loves us, we obey him. And then he sends the Spirit to be with us. So three things we see in the passage, that Jesus wants to reassure his disciples and us Three things the Holy Spirit will do. Three things that the Holy Spirit will be and do for us. First one is 
he will be another helper. Verse 16, I will ask the Father and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. The Greek word here for helper is parakletos. It's a word we know, right? If you've been around church circles, you've heard this before. Parakletos or kletos, however you describe it, can be translated as helper or comforter or even counselor. But the amazing thing is not those three words necessarily. The amazing thing is the word another. In other words, what Jesus is saying is, I'm going to send you someone just like me. God, but not God in the flesh, God in spirit, the Holy Spirit. I'm going to send another just like me. Someone just like me who will take my place. So don't worry, I'm going to the Father. The Father and I are going to be there, and I'm going to send you God the Spirit. And and what Jesus is communicating to us is that Jesus is still going to be with us. So there's the solution to the conundrum. How can Jesus be in heaven with the Father and with his church on earth? And the answer is by the Spirit through another helper. Jesus will always be with us because God is always with us by his spirit. And this is good news, even if it doesn't feel like good news initially. You know, you might be thinking it might be better if Jesus was still on earth. Imagine if he kind of could, could visit us, you know, or we could visit him if he was on earth, like I started with. You might think it might be better if I could just talk to him face to face. That might be more helpful. And that's what the disciples thought too. However, Jesus made it clear in John 16 when we get there that he said, it's actually better. It's better for you if I go so that I may send the Spirit. Why? Well, I mean, logically, Jesus could only be bodily in one place at one time. Whereas now, the glory of Christ can be with us all, wherever we are. No geographical limitations, no restrictions in terms of he's busy, I can't interrupt him. He goes to heaven so that he could send his own presence, the very presence of Christ, Christ himself by the Spirit, not the incarnate Christ, but the third person of the Trinity to be with us as our helper. Helper. The master is going away, but the helper is coming. And the helper will do exactly what the master did. Not only another helper, but the abiding presence. Jesus goes on, not only Christ with us, but Christ in us. Look at this. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. They're a family, right? Jesus is not only the master, but he's the, he's the, he's the father of this group. He's been fathering them. They're they're a family. And now they're concerned. He's going away. Are are we going to lose our leader, our father, our rabbi? Is he going? And he's like, listen, I will not leave you as orphans. Notice he says, I will come to you. 
So, so now he's not saying, I will send you another helper. He's saying, I'm going to come to you. This is the mystery of the Trinity, right? That, that, that Christ will be present with us, not bodily, but by the Spirit. Sometimes I know there's a book out there saying, um, there's a, a recent release that says, do not accept Christ into your heart. And it's a play. I understand it's a play because, you know, Christ is seated at the right hand of the Father. And I think it's an unhelpful play on words. You know, it's, it's kind of, well, the reality is Christ is in our hearts by the Spirit, technically. But then he says, I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Now, actually, this could be a reference to his resurrection, Right? And I think it is a reference to his resurrection. Is this a reference to his post-crucifixion appearances where, where Jesus appeared to the disciples? And I would say, yes, I think it is. But it's also more than that. I think it's both post-crucifixion appearances as well as Pentecost. That I will come to you, and he did bodily. After three days, Rose came to them, but also he came to them as the text said earlier, forever, right? Not just temporarily. And the text tells us that not only will he be with us, but he will be in us. Christ in us, the hope of glory, right? How is Christ in us? He's in us by the Spirit, the Helper. And he gives us what orphans desperately need. A home, a place of belonging, a place of protection. He protects, he provides, he loves, he nurtures, he corrects, he disciplines, he brings order and joy to the home. Finally, another advocate. Not only will he be with us, not only will he be in us, he will be guiding us. Verse 26, the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. Firstly, I want you to notice the Trinitarian references. The helper, the Holy Spirit, the helper is the Holy Spirit, whom the Father, say, there we go, the Father, God, the Father, God, the Holy Spirit, God, the Father, will send in my name, Jesus, God the Son. And he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. Now, does this mean, firstly, this doesn't mean that, that the Holy Spirit's going to teach you everything about chemistry, everything about calculus, everything about climate change. That's not the all things, right? No, no, the, the all things. Firstly, he's speaking in the upper room. No, we're not in the upper room. So who's he talking to? He's talking to the disciples. And, and by inference, all disciples, but, but firstly to the disciples. And so he's speaking to the disciples, and he's saying to them, listen, I'm going to teach you, although I'm going away, the Holy Spirit is going to bring to your remembrance it's going to be a supernatural activity. It's going to be an illuminating work. You've been with me for so long, but don't worry. I'm going to remind you. 
I'm going to remind you and I'm going to teach you all that you need to fulfill the mission. Remember, this is why they're worried. They're worried that if the master goes away, how are they going to fulfill the mission? And Jesus is like, don't worry, I've got this. I'm going to send another helper. I'm going to be with you. And you're going to have another advocate right there by your side. You know, where you, where you don't know what to say, suddenly you'll know what to say. Because the advocate's going to be nudging you. And helping you to remember how to interact and, and, and what to say. Remember, I mean, this is going to be remarkable. There's going to be 11 disciples and the Roman Empire. How's this, how's this thing going to get off the ground? I will help you. I will teach you. This is how we got the Bible. This is how we got the New Testament, at least. This is a reference to the inspiration of Scripture, to, to the Gospels. This is how we got the Gospels. The Holy Spirit inspired the disciples to remember all that Christ taught them, and they wrote it down, and we feast on it even to today. Now, what this doesn't mean is that the Holy Spirit continues to give new revelation. We are not adding to the Bible anymore. We, we do not have inspired revelation anymore. That, that, that role and function of the Spirit no longer is necessary because we have the mind and the will of God in the Bible. So what the Spirit therefore does to all the disciples thereafter is He illuminates. He still is the Spirit of truth. He's not the Spirit of new truth. Do you see that? He's the spirit of truth. All that Jesus did say, he remem they remember, they write it down, and we have the same privilege that we get to remember the truth. The spirit helps us to remember. He illuminates our understanding. And we are helped and our hearts are stirred as our minds are turned towards the glorious truth regarding Jesus. And the Spirit, notice, the Spirit wants to reveal truth about Jesus. I will bring to you your remembrance all things I have said to you. The Spirit doesn't want to speak on His own behalf. The Spirit is not doing anything in contrast or in competition with the Father and the Son. No, no, the Spirit is poured out as our advocate to glorify, to witness to Christ. And so when we sense illuminating work and when we sense the, work, the, the, the working of the advocate within us, the way we know it's from him is if it points us to Jesus. If it glorifies Jesus, if it's bringing glory to anything else or anyone else, it's not the work of the Spirit. So, in conclusion, Jesus is bodily in heaven with the Father, but He's also with us by the Spirit. Now, one of the disciples who wasn't in the upper room, a disciple by the name of Mary Magdalene, she actually saw Jesus. We're going to get there in John chapter 20. She, she saw Jesus after He was raised from the dead. I don't know if you remember the story. And she was so happy to see Jesus alive. She ran and she grabbed him and gave him a big hug, hoping that he would never leave again. 
And Jesus says to her, don't cling to me, Mary. And it's a little confusing, right? It's kind of like, you know, is he, has he changed? And, and, and he's not saying, I don't want to hug. He's not, you know, suddenly not affectionate anymore. He, no, no, he's saying, I'm not going to stay. Don't try and keep me here. That would be selfish. Instead, he says to her, listen, I've got a better plan. And the plan is going to be, I'm going to be close to you, and I'm going to be close to your family, and I'm going to be present with you wherever you are, all across the, the Middle East and all across the nations. Don't worry, I'm going to send the helper. And Mary, this is really good news. You don't have to worry because it's not like you have to wait for me. You know, maybe I'm busy with someone else, or maybe I'm ministering somewhere else, or maybe he's in Galilee, or maybe he's in Jordan. You don't have to worry about that anymore because I will be with you wherever you are. You never have to worry. Let me turn it to us. We never have to worry that Jesus doesn't see us, that, that Jesus doesn't hear our prayers, you know, because maybe he's somewhere else. Like they had, you know, if they had prayer meetings, it was like, we want to be at the prayer meeting where Jesus is at, right? And you could do that. You could go bodily to be where Jesus, we, we don't have to worry about that, right? If Jesus came to Cape Town, we don't need to worry about that anymore, right? Because he can be, right now in South Africa, he's in all the churches by the Spirit, you don't have to wait for Jesus to stop talking to someone else so, so that he can hear you. If you are a Christian, this is good news, that the presence of Christ is with us all the time, right until the day he calls you home. And so let me ask two questions. Does God seem distant to you? Do you feel this morning, do you feel far from Jesus? And there are two, two possibilities. One is that you're not yet a Christian. That's a real possibility. You're not yet a Christian. You haven't really submitted your life to him. There really isn't a loving and an obeying. If you love me, you will obey my commandments, he says. And I will send the Spirit and so there's a promise to the believer that you will have the Spirit. If you are a believer, you will be filled with the Spirit. There is no such thing as a believer who is not Spirit-filled. All believers are Spirit-filled believers. It's incorrect to think that a Christian can be a Christian without being Spirit-filled. And so if you don't feel the closeness of Christ, the first thing I would say to you is, are you a Christian? But then the second thing, and, and that's not condemnation, that's an ex exhortation, but the second thing is it doesn't matter how you feel. What do you know after this morning, right? Because your feelings fluctuate. And, and what he's saying to us is not, hey, if you feel like it, then I'll send a helper. No, no, he's like, okay, I know you guys are weak and feeble and fearing and flimsy and fickle. It's okay. I'm going to come to you. I'm not going to leave you as orphans. 
I've got this thing. Even if you feel like far, what's the truth? The truth is, I will not leave you as orphans. I will be with you. So dwell on the truth. Dwell on the truth. Run to him. Fix your gaze on him. I end with this, Romans 5 verse 5. God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Maybe you do feel far from God. Maybe it's just a feeling. And you can, you can correct that by knowing the truth. Jesus, you are my Lord. Jesus, you are my Savior. Jesus, you are my Master. You are my Helper. May I experience the love of God afresh. I love this verse because what it does is it, it, it's not only the truth that we have the Holy Spirit, but there's an ongoing impact here. The ongoing impact is we can continue to experience the love of God through the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit, we can ask, Holy Spirit, helper, help me to experience freshly the love of God. Because that's what I'm missing. If you, if you are a Christian, but you feel far from God, what you're missing is a fresh, new understanding of the love of God. And this is where the helper can help. Because he says yeah, God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who's been given to us. Amen? Let's ask. Lord, we pray that you would pour out afresh in our hearts, even this morning, the love of God the love of Father, the love of Son, the love of the Spirit into our hearts afresh. We need you. We thank you for this incredible promise that Jesus, you will be with us forever. And you are with us by the Spirit. Not only with us, but in us. In us as, as our counselor, as our comforter, as our guide, you lead us to truth. Thank you that we can know afresh this morning the love of God. We can know it to be true, but we can also experience it. We don't want to just know about love. We, we really want to encounter this love. We want to Experience the love of God. This is what you're promising us, that we actually know, we know the love of God. We're not just told about it, we, we know it. And when we know the love of God, when we know how much we are loved, oh Lord, it's easy to love and obey. And so I pray for us all, that you would flood our hearts, you would flood our lives with a fresh awakening, a fresh stirring in our hearts of the love of God, to know that Christ Jesus is with us. Another helper for all of us. 
any of us, wherever we are. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Amen.